It happened before, it can happen again. One of the reasons I touch base with that is a lot of times when you speak around about revival or awakening or movements or a cultural shift and a change, God coming into our midst, we think of it as ancient history. It doesn't have to be ancient history. It wasn't for the Jesus movement in the 70s and many touched by him. There's a man standing at the back of this auditorium right there. His name's Mike Bartell, and we were talking last week about how he was a part of that Jesus movement and how they were baptizing people at Barclay and other kinds of places with, with uh, smoke bombs and stuff going off and some of the, the tension between two colliding worlds. And God used that movement to change a lot of people's lives. One of those is Greg Lowry, who is pastor of Harvest up in Riverside. In fact, he has his uh, SoCal Harvest um, uh, evangelistic outreach every fall, November 4 and 5, Anaheim Stadium, Angel Stadium will be packed out. If you want to go to that, go. Be a part of something that God's doing in a movement. And uh, we'll keep you abreast of maybe some showings or opportunities with this film. But it was based off of this incredible movement of when God shifted some things with a certain sector of people in our nation. And we said last week that uh, Time Magazine came out and they had put it on their front cover, and they call it the Jesus Revolution rather than the Jesus Movement. But it was only five years after Time Magazine had put the cover uh, with the big question, is God dead on it? You can go from death to life. You can go from deadness to a revolution. It can happen in a culture. It can happen in your personal life. It can happen in your family. Do you believe it's possible? Do you believe it's possible for God to wake up the dead bones? We, we sang about it, and part of me almost wanted to stop and come up here as we were singing and go, time out, time out. Do we really believe what we're singing, the God of revival? Or was it just another nice week for you? Maybe it was a challenging week. Threw up a few prayers. Had a few Hail Mary hopes. Just another week. Or have you continued to ask God to make you hungry for something more, stirring you up that there's got to be something more? This has not been a good week for me. Because of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in my own life saying, do you believe what you're preaching? And how, how long are you going to hang it out? And then you say, hey, that's good, move on. I don't know. All I know is I've got to keep myself pliable before God to say, you melt me, you break me, you mold me into who you want me to be for your people, for my family, for my community. I want more. I want more. And I want more, ultimately, not for me, not for us, but for the glory of God. Our God deserves more. He deserves more honor. He deserves more worship. He deserves more praise. The ultimate reality is the Lord God Almighty. We need a personal spiritual awakening and a revived church for a dying world. And we're going to be at it again today. And as we're at it again today, I want to encourage us to just uh, keep our hearts open to what the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you about. And you'll understand why this has been a more difficult week for me on the subject matter that we're going to be looking at today. 
We've talked about why revival tarries, and we've given some answers to that question. Why does revival tarry? You know where we've been, right? Revival tarries because there's a lack of spiritual hunger. Revival tarries because we lack divine belief that God really can move and change. And last week we looked at why revival tarries because there's a lack of godly obedience. We looked into the life of the Israelites coming back from captivity with Ezra and Nehemiah. But this is our subject this week. I actually put it in the email I sent out. I'm surprised any of you showed up today. There's a lack of deep repentance. There's a lack of deep repentance is at the forefront in many ways for why we have no revival. There's so many places I could have gone this morning in the scriptures in the Old Testament and with prophets and what was going on with them because the prophets were always telling people what? Repent! Repent! Turn! You're going down bad paths. You're following idols. or You've forgotten Yahweh. You're your, your Lord God Almighty Jehovah. Repent and turn. They were proclaiming it time and time and time again all through the Old Testament. The book of Judges. They would turn and they would become godly and there would be a season. They would serve the Lord and then they would fall away. Generation would grow up not knowing the Lord. And then they would uh, fall into deep sin and waywardness and God would send someone to raise up to say, Hey, look, you get to the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus was marked by the subject of repentance that's why John the Baptist, who came before Jesus, he said what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he preached repentance. Repentance. This journey that we're in with revival, the men on Saturday morning, we're walking through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts does what? You find Peter standing up. He tells them who Jesus was and he's been raised from the dead and you, you, know, you put him to death and then he says, repent and believe. Chapter we looked at this week, Acts 3. Peter's doing the same thing, repent. You get all the way to the end of the New Testament and there's letters that Jesus had written through the revelation of John for the churches in Asia five out of the seven letters that Jesus dictated in one sense to John to send to the churches had what in them? Repent! Repent and turn! So let me ask you, why? Why is the message of repentance not in churches more today? Why do pastors like Pastor Carey hesitate to talk on the subject of repentance? Well, I don't want people to think, you know, we're Bible thumpers or hellfire and brimstone and burn. No, it's not that repentance. There's a great joy in repentance, actually. But you can't have the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ and salvation without repentance. There is no salvation without repentance. And the message of repentance all the way through the scriptures is a message that we need for our day and age today. Not because we're more wicked than any generations before. Trust me, you can find a lot more wicked kind of generations even from the culture that we're certain experiencing now. 
But humanity moves towards sinfulness because that's its nature. And when they set aside God, they will fall into decadence and they will fall into worshiping maybe not statue kind of idols, but other kinds of idols like materialism and fame and popularity and success. We have the need for revival, but to have the need for revival, we must give credence to our lack of deep repentance. That's why Peter, I mean, Peter, when he stood up there in that Acts 3, I love this because it's like right there is a model example of good preaching for revival. He said, repent then and turn to God in Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that a time of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. He was preaching to this crowd who saw, some of them saw Jesus raised from the grave after he'd been crucified. He preached to this crowd that many of them were there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and and moved amongst the people and people came to know the Lord. He was preaching to this crowd who were in awe of something happening, but he had the religious elite the, the religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees that were against him as they were watching this. This comes on the heels of uh, Peter and John raising someone who was uh, an invalid so he could walk. And he's preaching to this crowd. And what does he say? Hey, I got some good how-to points for you to be happy today. No. What he said was, Repent. Repent that and turn to God so your sins can be wiped out and forgiven. And then I love what he says here because it's so true. Why? Because times of refreshing come on the heels of deep repentance. And so instead of us maybe trying to encourage people to be more self-actualized or be a new and improved self today, maybe we ought to tell them to look in the mirror, have a good look at who they are. And repent, because the times of refreshing come from brokenness and the right relationship with God, not by sweeping it underneath the rug and forgetting about it. Oh, it's, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. See, the word repentance, we don't even know quite how to define that term today because it's not used very much. Is repentance a sense of feeling sorry for our sins? Is repentance a, uh, a, a feeling of remorse, of heaviness? Is repentance something where uh, we just sort of have a change of mind about some things we're thinking about that we shouldn't be doing? What is repentance? Well, repentance is an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process That's actually a gift from God. And it's a turning for sure. It's embedded in the word repent as a turning. But it's a decisive turning of one's trajectory in life. Any of you ever been uh, hurt or offended by somebody? And um, you're waiting, wanting them to apologize and say something to you about it. And you're just waiting and waiting for them to say something. 
and they don't ever really say something. And then it's an awkward moment, but you're back around one another, and somehow they sort of say something like, oh, you know, when I did that, you know, I'm, I'm sort of sorry for that. And then you feel bad maybe at that moment that they said something, you don't, it's, you're awkward, so you say, oh, it's all right, it's okay. Is that sort of what repentance is? Say, hey, God, I'm sort of, you know, there and there, I was a little off. I'm the, eh, that's okay, no big deal. Is that what repentance is? No, it's not a sorry mentality, sentimentality. There's depth to it of brokenness. It doesn't mean that you need to be pouring out tears at an altar, but there needs to be a deep-seated dispositional change to move in a different type of direction. I uh, have encouraged us uh, to read after some revival historians, and I went back this last week and actually listened to some messages of Leonard Ravenhill. There's a few of them that uh, are videoed. And in one of those messages, he gave reference to a pastor who defined repentance this way, and I sort of liked it. Repentance. Repentance is to leave this thing I've done before and show in earnestness I grieve by doing it no more. Repentance is to leave this thing I've done before and, in, and show in earnestness I grieve by doing it no more. When you come to a place of repentance concerning your sin in life, you will find times of rejoicing, but you will find that there is brokenness before your God because you know that you have sinned against Him. So, God, was my cry this week. Where do I take the subject of repentance? For some of us, it's like palatable. It's right there. It's like, you don't need to talk anymore. I, I need to turn this thing, turn from this thing I'm doing and, and earnestness grieve and do it no more. For others of us, um, we've come through some deep times of repentance. Recently, maybe. And you're living in a season of refreshment. For others of us, maybe it's, it's, uh, it's that you've become a little numb. You've compromised. Oh, it's just a little, little thing. God probably doesn't care about it that much. And so you're not even aware of what you need to repent of in your life for a time of awakening and revival. I think there's a need for us to look at some of the reasons for why deep repentance is lacking. And so that's where I decided to land and give out just a couple, well, three or four exhortations. And then we're going to move towards a time of communion this morning. And I'm going to give you time to just reflect with the Lord on what he would have you to do. Why deep repentance is lacking One of the reasons deep repentance is lacking is because of vision, our eyesight, where it's at. We have our eyes on other people, and a lot of times we measure ourselves according to them. We've become so cluttered in a sinful world that we don't know the beauty and the purity of who God Almighty is. And 
there's this passage that I couldn't get away from by the prophet Isaiah. Some of you are familiar with it. It's found in Isaiah chapter 6. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And when they're calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord all God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, This, see this, has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. This vision of Isaiah I know we've been talking about a few prophets here, right? We talked about Ezekiel and the dry bones, and that was before uh, the captivity of Judah. And then we talked last week about Ezra and Nehemiah. They were the prophets and trying to get them to reestablish back in Jerusalem. Well, Isaiah was before all them, and Isaiah was giving his uh, prophetic words uh, to uh, Israel, the northern kingdom at that time, and they were going to be taken captive by the Assyrians. And so he was calling them out, and in the midst of this calling them out, he has this vision. And in this vision, he is uh, enraptured in one sense in the vision of heaven and God. And so when he says this in verse 3, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. Above him were seraphim, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I try to imagine and picture this, and maybe you've heard me declare this before, but it just comes back to me again this week on this whole subject of repentance, that you know, we look at this and the cherubim, they're declaring forth the holy, holy, holies, Lord God Almighty, and they're trying to come up with words to describe God. You know, God is, is beautiful, God is awesome, God is mighty, God is powerful, God is the creator, God is you know, uh, merciful, uh, he is steadfast. You think of all the terms they can come up with. And so one angel shouts out to another, finally, it's like, well, I'm going to top all of you. He's holy. And another angel says, I'm going to top that one. I can't. He's holy. And another one says, well, yeah, he's holy. And so you have this going on in heaven, one seraphim to another with these wings and all that's going on and the the ambiance of that beautiful heavenly state. And they're declaring to one another, holy, 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 holy. It's going on right now. They're declaring the holiness of God. And, and we here on earth might think to ourselves, well, that's what heaven's going to be like? Just declaring holies? 
As one author said, you got to remember this, human beings. We have not seen what they have seen. If we had, we would be begging to get their job. There's a vision of God that Isaiah saw. And why deep repentance lacking sometimes is that we have not beheld the holiness of His glory. We've not beheld it. We've become mundane. We've become uh, uh, bored in one sense. I was reading this week, William, uh, William Shatner. You know who he is, right? Captain Kirk. Star Trek. All right? A year ago, he went up in uh, the Amazon guy Bezos' uh, spaceship with a few other people for a few moments in outer space. He actually got to do his Star Trek trip. And he's written a book. He's not a believer, but it was interesting to me uh, when he gave a description of coming back down to earth. He says, I thought it was going to be a celebration and it felt more like a funeral. When I was up there and I looked out, all I saw was death. And then when I came back to earth, I'm paraphrasing, he says there was life here. And he had grief because of, in one sense, how lack lacking there is of, of, of stewarding life here on earth. But I thought, isn't that interesting? Because a lot of times we think, oh, the wonder and the expanse of space. And I'm definitely one of those people. I think the beauty and the expanse and the wonder of God. But if I was actually on a spaceship, I'd go up there and i realize, none here. None here. It's sort of death, right? They keep trying to look for it on Mars with the machine that's moving around right now. Is there any life, any, any little cell somewhere? Death. But when you come back to the, the blue dot, which is how it's seen from space, there's life here. Oh, it may have its problems, but there's life here. And why is there life here? Because God Almighty, He chose to bring life to this uh, terrestrial ball that was you know, uh, void and without form. He created life, and He created you and me, and we have here on this earth the beauty and the radiance and the glory of God. And maybe for us, we're not being, to, and being raptured in some of the beauty of in a heavenly vision like Isaiah, but to open our eyes about the wonder and the beauty of God here. And could it be that some of our repentance is because we lack a vision of beholding the holiness of His glory in all things? Those letters in the book of Revelation... Those letters in the book of Revelation uh, are given to John for the churches after he saw a vision of the Lord God Almighty. Do you remember it? It says this in Revelation, before those letters roll themselves out there in one, and I turned, he said, to see the voice that was speaking to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and one standing among the lampstands like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to his feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash and his head and his hair were white like wool as white as snow and his eyes were like a blazing fire and his feet were like burnished bronze when it had been caused to glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. 
And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Oh, may we gain a vision of Jesus Christ and all of his glory. God the Father seated on the throne and all of the angels and the seraphim declaring his holy, holy, holies. Why? Because when you see the purity of the love and the power and the beauty of God, it's like a mirror that then reflects back on your own life. And when we're dead to some of uh, our uh, issues that we need to be awakened to, that reflection causes us to go, wow, that's, that's not me. And that's whose presence I'm going to stand in is in the presence of the Holy One. Who am I to stand in that presence? As I say, as I say woe is me, I live amongst a people of unclean lips. I, I, I'm in not a very good place compared to seeing His beauty and His holiness. And so maybe one of the things that could lead you to deeper repentance in your own life is to gain a fresh vision of who God is. Read the Psalms. Do a study on the characteristics of God. Read about the beauty of Jesus and not just who he was as a person, but his actions and his kindness and his tenderness. And then reflect back on your own life. Deep repentance is lacking many a times because we have not beheld the holiness of his glory. What did he say then? Isaiah said this in 6.5, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That vision hopefully will lead you to what I've just referenced, and that's this. Deep repentance is lacking many a times because we have not confessed the wretchedness of our sin. I thought about pulling that word, wretchedness. It's like, have you used that in your vocabulary this last week? I mean, maybe you opened your refrigerator and there was something bad in there and you said, oh, that is wretched, right? A smell kind of thing. But we don't think in terms of our personal lives as being wretched. But when you get a glimpse of the holy of God and you reflect on the brokenness and sometimes decadence of our own life, it, it is a wretched kind of state. And what we do with that is not sit and just beat ourselves up and beat ourselves up and beat ourselves up and feel smaller and smaller and, and let the, the false concept of a big old judgmental God just crush us into the ground. No, we got a God who is merciful. And so when we reckon with our wretchedness, we need to come back and acknowledge it before God and say, I, I am in this condition. Woe is me. And I live amongst the people in this condition. And it leads us to confess like Isaiah confessed in that vision. So those two things I wanted to pull from the Isaiah aspect for repentance today. Catching a vision of the holiness of God's glory 
and actively choosing to confess the wretchedness of our sin in light of it. But then there was this other passage that came to me. I could spend several weeks, several weeks on this one. And it has to do with King David's confession. Remember what King David did? I mean, he was at the peak, right? The glory days of Israel, King David. And he fell. He fell into sin. Not only did he commit sin, the sin of adultery with Bathsheba, but then he had to cover his tracks because she became pregnant. And so he orders her husband back from the front lines of battle. So he would sleep with her. So it looked like it was his child. But the husband was so honoring to God that he says, who am I to come back and to be able to be with my wife? I'm not going to. And so he stayed outside the home, if you will. And so like David's like, this is not good. And so he says, you send him back to the very, very, very front lines of the battle. And he sent him back to a place he knew he would be killed. He ends up marrying Bathsheba then. You're like, David, how could you go so wrong here? Everything was going right for you, right? I'm a basketball fan, and, and one of the teams I follow a little bit is the Boston Celtics. They had a pretty good year, and they had a good coach, and, and it came out that the coach made some inappropriate uh, uh, activity with the personal staff, and they've set him aside for the whole year. And you think, how can you go from being at the mountain peak of all you're doing? Well, but by the grace of God, there go I. I've always said that about King David. David fell at his peak, so that means none of us are beyond the ability to fall. What do you do when you fall? What do you do when you fall? What do you do if you're still beating yourself up here this morning about the wretchedness of your sin? Well, I tell you what, Psalm 51 is a pretty good place to go. So I'd like to read part of Psalm, 150, uh, Psalm 51. You can turn there in your scriptures on your electronic device. Follow me with this. This is David before God. He's been confronted about his sin, and he goes to the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let, the, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a clean, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. What do you find there in verse 3? For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right 
in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely, I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. My deep, deep repentance is poured out. Confession. We have not confessed the sin of wretchedness, the wretchedness of our sin. Isaiah acknowledged it. David acknowledged it. Do you and I acknowledge it? But then, in the latter part of that psalm, he says this, Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. I want you to know that this next point is probably one of the most prominent points in my life that caused me to seek out the Lord and bring my repentance to Him. And it's this. We have not feared the absence of His presence. King David was like, don't, don't take your presence away from me. Don't do that. And a lot of times it's not God's presence that moves away. His spirit dwells within us. It's not like he leaves. But when there's a wrong between you and someone else, you feel distant. And that's exactly what happens with your relationship with God. If there is a wrong that you've not repented of, that you've not turned about face and headed the other direction, then there is dissonance more on your side than anything. He's waiting for you to turn to forgive and to be gracious. But because of that sin, you no longer feel His presence. I don't know about you, but I want the real thing. I don't want to do religion. I just don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to just show up at church to check off the box because that's what we're supposed to do. I want to live in the presence of a relationship, a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want that, that, that intimacy that's growing with Him. And sin, sin will destroy that intimacy. And David said, cast me, take not your presence from me. And so he found himself in this deep psalm of repentance. And the last one quickly comes from the prophet Hosea. Don't have time to unpack all that, but Hosea was actually now before Isaiah, and he was speaking to Israel, and, and they're approaching Assyrian captivity. And so he pours out his prophetic word, and then there's this pretty cool verse that he has. And being a guy that grew up on farm life and tractors and plows and, and uh, you know, sowing seed and all that kind of stuff, I, I have a, an appreciation for Hosea. They were, they were agricultural people, you know. Most Israelites were grown crops. He says this, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness on you. Break up your fallow ground. You know what fallow ground is? Fallow ground is something that had been broken up before and, and maybe some crops grew in it, but then the rains came and the baking heat and just the time and compaction, that kind of thing, and it's just hard as a rock. I remember in some of my younger years, I would be plowing in a field with a plow that was supposed to dig the ground and turn it over, and the ground was so hard sometimes, it would just skim along the top. 
And you're like, wait a second, I can't get more pressure on that plow. I got to get it down in there. So this vision of breaking up fallow ground, hard ground, so then, then you can maybe put some crops in and see something grow is, is very real to me. And it was real to Hosea. And he gave this exhortation that you and I, we need to break up the hardness of our ground, the hardness of our heart. Why deep repentance is lacking is because we have not broken up the hardness of our heart. We have not broken up the hardness of our heart. And and put that point up here. I just want to challenge us there as we head to communion. That maybe this morning there's some of that work to be done in your life. Breaking up the hardness of your heart. This week, I came across an um, old brochure in my files, Breaking Up the Fallow Ground, an outline for repentance. You know who it was written by? It was written by one of the great revivalists of the Second Great Awakening, Charles Finney. And Finney knew how to preach repentance. Finney, it's told he brought some new method. He'd have the saints sit on one side, the believers, and then the people from the community, the sinners would sit on the other side. And he'd preach to the sinners and tell the saints to pray for the sinners. And they preached repentance unto salvation. And they would get up and they would come to the altar and they would repent. This article here was written by him originally, but it was adapted by a couple, Keith and Melody Green. You probably don't know who Keith Green is, too many of you. But Keith Green was a result of that Jesus revolution, that movement. He was a musician, did not know the Lord. He came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gave Jesus everything to follow him. And he started a ministry called Last Days Ministries. You can actually get this article, Breaking Up the Follow Ground, and he enumerates all kinds of sins in that article. Keith Green knew people like a Randy Stonehill and a Larry Norman, some of those people that brought in some of the Jesus movement music that I got excited about, I was a part of, but man, there was something different about Keith Green. He was only in his 20s, 28, 29 maybe. He was tragically killed in an airplane accident with others on their property when the pilot overloaded the plane. Two of his kids passed, as did nine others. Just suddenly snuffed out, but his life And his music is still inspirational today. And I'm going to do something here. I'm going to have us watch a clip of Keith Green. It's sort of a fuzzy clip. It's an older clip. And his music, I think, did what this breaking up of the hard ground would do. I know it was true in my life. And You'll catch some of his passion and his fervor in this. And 
I want this to begin to prepare us for communion. In fact, I'm going to ask ushers if, if they take their place or if there's anyone that doesn't have a communion cup right now that you would raise your hand and we'll pass the communion cup to you and the offering baskets can be passed during this time as well to receive your tithes and offerings as well as your connect cards. But I want you to have one of these in your hand because don't open it yet. We're going we're gonna to have a time of communion. I, I want this to be a time of reflection and personal repentance. And so hold your communion cup. Listen to Keith Green. And then after this clip, I'll stand and I'll invite us to share our communion together. Maybe you need to pray, though. Maybe you need to pray where you're at. Maybe you need to hold off on taking your communion today. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians that we're to take communion in remembrance of the Lord, right? But a lot of times we forget what it says after that. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we take communion this morning, remembering the Lord's death, his resurrection, and that we have forgiveness through his shed blood because he took upon himself our sins and died for the penalty of our sins on the cross. And so we remember the Lord and we celebrate his life until he comes again and we share communion face to face with him and all that glory that Isaiah and John saw. But it says this right on the heels of it. Do you know this part before we do this? It says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Whoa. A lot of times we just move quick. Let's do communion. Thank you, Jesus, and celebrate till you come again. But we don't pause to go, wait a second. Have, have I examined myself? Is there follow ground that needs to be broken up? Sins of omission that you've left out of your life. You're not being obedient to the Lord with something He's called you to do. Or sins of commission. That you've actively been participating in sin. Knowingly even. And you refuse to repent. The Scriptures teach us to examine ourselves before we take this and repent of our sins. Sometimes there's heavy emotion that comes with it because repentance is from God. Some other times it's just that simple devout face of, in my grief, turning and doing it no more. Listen to Keith Green after this word and his song. I'll have us partake of communion together and continue in examining, repenting, deep repentance.
as the Lord may lead today. Do not leave here this morning if the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart right now to change, to come to him. He will set you free from that addiction. He will set you free from that anger, that indifference. He will set you free and he will call you out and empower you to do those things that he's called you to do. He is here to minister to you in these moments. I bring to you Keith Green.